from Earth, it's Space Radio. This is Paul Sarter, and coming up, we're talking about the best space of the decade, and of course, taking listener questions about all things in the universe, because that's what this show is about. We record every Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern, and you can follow along or leave a voicemail at spaceradioshow.com. And today's Blue Shift, I'll be talking about what can we expect with some 2020 vision. But first, the news. Hello, space cadets. Welcome to Space Radio. I'm Paul Sutter, astrophysicist at Stony Brook University and the Flatiron Institute. And for the next half hour, your agent to the stars. We've got an exciting show for you today where we talk about all things space, astronomy, astrophysics, rocketry. If it's above the Earth's atmosphere, it's in this show's universe. This show lives on listener questions. We record every Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern here in Spaceman Studios in New York City. So leave a voicemail at Space radioshow.com to get yourself on the air. You can also follow along with our space cadets tuning in live from around the world, including but not limited to Howell, New Jersey, Washington, D.C., Pell City, Alabama, and Chicago, and more. Check out spaceradioshow.com for the links to the YouTube and Twitch live streams. I will take questions that you send there too. Seriously, folks, I've prepped basically no material at all and that's how this show works you're in charge except you're not but get those questions in before i start taking questions i want to share some interesting bits of news i caught recently and this is the last episode of space radio this decade now i know the pedants a amongst you will say uh, the decade doesn't really start until 2021 but i am talking about the fact that a decade has passed the 2010s are over we're not putting a one in that tens place in the digits for our years anymore so that decade is finished and there was some major stuff. It was a very momentous decade. For example, this decade saw the launch of space radio, and that's worth celebrating and remembering, at least among this circle. I would think so. And, you know, that maybe it's just me. Okay. Other important things happened, like detecting gravitational waves for the first time. This is back in 2017. Over 100 years ago, Einstein predicted the existence of gravitational waves, and he even he was like, yeah, but we're never going to see him. I mean, come on, guys, but I'm Einstein. I got to write this down. I got to write another paper about this. 100 years later, we proved Einstein wrong by proving him right. We did do it. Take that, Albert. But we found exactly what he predicted we would find. And we saw two black holes merging through their gravitational waves. That's just awesome. We saw thousands of new exoplanets through the Kepler Space Telescope mission. Worlds orbiting other stars of all sorts of shapes and colors and sizes. Okay, the shapes are mostly round, but you get the idea. Thousands of them. We think there's somewhere around a trillion planets in the galaxy. 
And we just barely scratched the surface, but this was this was the hot decade. This was the hot decade for exoplanets. And there was Planck, the Planck mission, opening up the cosmic microwave background, revealing it in detail that no one has ever measured before. There's a special place in my heart for the Planck mission and its observations of the earliest, oldest light in the universe because I was a member of the Planck team. I was a cog in that machine doing some of the data analysis, making those maps, getting that juicy cosmological data out. That was fun. That, that was all, that will always hold a special place in my heart. We've got the New Horizons mission blasting by Pluto. It spent like, what, 20 minutes near Pluto? It took nine years to get there, and it didn't even take its coat off before leaving again. How rude, but we'll give it to it. That plucky little spacecraft is still traveling beyond the bounds of our solar system, uncovering new worlds. It sounds like an intro to Star Trek, but no, this is New Horizons. And also the Voyager probes made it past the boundaries of an into interstellar space. Congratulations, humanity. We are officially an interstellar species. We did it. We did it. We The sun could blow up tomorrow and we will have... A legacy in the form of two hunks of metal hurtling through the endless void between the stars. You know what? As legacies go, that's not so bad. We've got finding building blocks of life on other worlds with the Rosetta mission, looking at comets, looking at asteroids. We've we've done so much around our solar system, confirming that there is liquid water in the icy moons of the outer world. No, Nancy Graziano on the Space Cadet YouTube channel. I will not forget about asteroid Bennu and our exploration of it with the OSIRIS-REx mission. Currently, doing whatever it's doing over there, checking out that big chunk of rock. Man, there's more news to share. There's more. It's just, oh, I got to get to space flight. Okay, I'll do space flight after the break. I promise. So we're not going to have a conversation right now. Sorry. No, no. This is this is the year-end episode, folks. There are no rules. There is no pattern. What do you think is going to happen? This is the end of the decade. We got to let it loose. We got to let it fly. And speaking of letting it fly, how about SpaceX and Blue Origins and reusable rockets making it cheaper to go into space? That was a 2010s thing. That will go down in the 3,000 years from now in the Wikipedia summary of 2010s. There'll be one little bullet point. Oh, yeah, and we figured out this whole reusable autopilot landing rocket thing. Hopefully it leads to something good. We'll find out in the 2020s, I suppose. In the interstellar visitors, oh my gosh, the space cadets are blowing up here, giving me ideas of, of what happened in the past decade. Yes, the interstellar visitors. We've got Oumuamua, which I love saying. It's a Hawaiian word roughly translating to scout, which was the first confirmed interstellar object entering through our solar system. By the time we spotted it, it had already blown by in its loop around the sun. It is still in our solar system, but it's way out there past Jupiter already. So, And it's really tiny, so it's hard to see. So that's all we got. But then it had another friend come by this year uh the name is escaping me and i'm sure the space cadets will help me out with the name of the second interstellar visitor this year uh, that came by this year so we got two in one decade confirmed interstellar objects man 
yeah, Nancy Graziano, this is so much fun. The Space Cadets are, are giving me so much cool ideas because uh, going back to the reusable rockets with SpaceX, not only do we have the launches, but like with the with the attached booster thing and then the boosters detach and then they land themselves and it's like, wow, this is the future, except it's the present and, and now it's the past, which I understand is a little bit confusing, but that is the nature of time. We've got a transit of Venus in 2012, which if you're interested in transits of Venus, that was a momentous event. Borisov, thank you, Nebula, over on YouTube. Borisov is the interstellar comet that we spotted this year. Wow. Whew. I'm out of breath. Greg, do you see me? Do you see me? I am, I'm exhausted. I, I had so much excitement over the 2010s. It was a good decade for space. I feel good about the 2010s and what we've learned and what we've accomplished and what we've built. Pat yourself on the back, humanity, because the 2010s is, that's gonna go down in the history book. But you know what, this this isn't all my show. It is all my show, but people send me questions and just because it's the end of the decade doesn't mean that we can't that we can ignore questions, right? So let's go, we've got a voicemail ready to go. Hey Greg, would you play that tape for the last time this year? Hello, can gravitons be the size of a Planck unit? And if gravitons are floating by themselves in the universe, could that be the source of dark matter? All right, thanks. Ooh, really fun question asking about gravitons and dark matter and just what are they? So if you've never heard the word graviton before, it's time for a little lesson. Every one of the forces of nature has, you can view it this way, a particle that carries it around. So there's a bunch of light hitting your eyeballs that let you see right now. That light is carried by a particle called the photon. Another force of nature, the strong nuclear force, is carried by a set of eight particles known as the gluons because guess what they do? They glue particles together. And then the weak nuclear force gets three carriers called the... W and Z bosons. W is for weak. Z is for Z for out of ideas. And, but that's what it is. The fourth force of nature is gravity. In a fully developed magical quantum worldview where gravity has a quantum mechanical description, the force of gravity will be carried by a particle called the graviton. We do not have a quantum description of gravity. It's something we've been working on for, I don't know, 70 years now and various fits and starts. And we've had some ideas in a bunch of blind alleys and that's a whole different discussion. Right now in our understanding of gravity, gravity is not carried by a particle like the other forces are. Instead, gravity is due to the bending of space and time itself. This is Einstein's general relativity, the same thing that gave us, you know, the gravitational waves. But we want to have a quantum description of gravity because all the other three forces of nature have a quantum description. So why isn't gravity playing along? Well, it's complicated. We believe that if it did have a quantum description, 
there would be this particle called the graviton, but we don't have that quantum description. So maybe there isn't a graviton, but maybe there is, and it's just really messy. But I'll get to the second part of that question after the break. I'm Paul Sutter, and this is Space Radio. This show is brought to you by you. Go to patreon.com slash pmsutter. It was true in the 2010s, and it'll be true in the 2020s. Figure out how you can support the show by going to that website, patreon.com slash pmsutter. Support for 90.5 WCBE and Space Radio comes from Thompson Hine, a business law firm serving clients for more than a century. Thompson Hine provides innovative client service through SmartPath, a smarter way to work, predictable, efficient, and aligned with client goals. More information about the firm at thompsonhine.com. Welcome back, everyone. I'm Paul Sutter, and this is Space Radio. We've got more questions ready to go, but remember, you can join the conversation by leaving an online voicemail or by following the live stream. Check out spaceradioshow.com for all the links. Now, that question that we were talking about before the break was asking about gravitons, and gravitons are a hypothetical particle that carries the gravitational force in a quantum description of gravity if we had a quantum description of gravity. So in that make-believe world where we can fully describe gravity through quantum mechanics, there would be this particle called the graviton. And the question also was asking about, uh, is this the dark matter? If it's floating around, what's its size? If the graviton exists, it would be massless. It would have no mass at all. This is what enables it to travel across the galaxy you can, or across the universe. You can feel gravity from infinite range. If there's an object on the other side of the universe, technically it does exert a small, tiny, barely there, but not zero gravitational force on you. And so in order to do that, the graviton has to be massless. And could it be the dark matter? Graviton, by definition, is the thing that carries gravity from place to place. Objects that have mass will generate and respond to gravitons, like they will glow in gravitons in this picture. And that glowing is how we sense their weight and their mass and their attraction. And then we absorb the gravitons and that makes us pulled to that object. So the dark matter has to be something that creates gravitons. It's something that creates gravity rather than being gravity itself. I don't want to ignore the space cadets. The space cadets loyal throughout the decade, well, at least for as long as this show has existed, and they've got questions galore. Abdullah Hassan on YouTube is asking, what books would you recommend to start learning astrophysics, cosmology, and astronomy? Excellent question. I wish I had planned that. I have two suggestions for you. Are you ready? And yes, yes, folks, I'm doing it. Suggestion number one, Paul Sutter's Your Place in the Universe, Understanding Our Big Messy Existence. That's right. It's the book that I wrote. I am pitching it myself to answer your question. But that's exactly what this book is for. You're curious about the universe and how we came to know about the universe and what the universe is all about. 
that's the book. That's why I wrote it, so that you could learn it. Now, the second book is Paul Sutter's How to Die in Space, A Journey Through Dangerous Astrophysical Phenomenon. That is my next book coming out. It's coming out this June, published by Pegasus. And man, I just, I swear today, this morning, I got the pre-proof edits done in PDF so I can see how the pages will look, how the chapters are laid out. It's a, it's a gorgeous loving looking book. I love the font they chose. I'm very, very much in love with the font and the layout and just everything the content that's up for you that's to you for you to decide but the book itself looks great i love the cover too because it has an astronaut's helmet and the sun is exploding in the in the reflection of the visor it's hilarious it is available for pre-order on amazon you gotta wait a bit because it won't come out until june but it's talking it's a book about astrophysics it's a book about supernova and dark matter and asteroids and the vacuum of space time itself it's a book about just awesome astrophysics so your place in the universe if you want to learn about the universe and how to die in space if you want to not die in space. If you've got an intrepid interplanetary explorer in your family, this is the gift for them. And that's right. I just spent five minutes plugging my own book. And am I ashamed? No, I am not. Larry Beckham over on YouTube is asking, did I see the paper about a a star that disappeared? Apparently, there's the suggestions like we were observing a star and it just blinked out of existence and it didn't explode. And so that's weird. People are wondering, did did some alien civilization like build a giant shell around it and obscure it? I haven't read the paper, but I can tell you it's not aliens because you know what? Nature is capable of some really shifty business including making stars disappear. Stars get brighter, stars get dimmer, stars are visible, stars explode, stars stop exploding. Give nature some credit, okay? She's pretty clever. And if she can make a star disappear, she will. And it's just a matter of chance before we see one happening. Uh, Ghassan Akkad on YouTube is asking, how can light push an object if it has no mass and thus no momentum? Because momentum is defined as velocity times mass. Uh, But wouldn't that equal zero? So how can light actually push things? You are absolutely right. Light has no mass. Like the photon, like the graviton, is massless. It has infinite range, travels at the speed of light, which is pretty handy for if you're light, so you travel at the speed that you were born to. But the equation you quoted, that momentum equals velocity times mass, that only applies to things with mass. Light is its own thing. Light gets its own special set of rules. Light is waves of electricity and magnetism. These are forces. They can make other things move. Light has its own equation for momentum, which is related to its frequency. Light has no mass, but it does have momentum. And because it has momentum, it can push things around. I can shine a light on a piece of paper, and if I'm patient enough, and I'm in a vacuum, there's no other forces, that piece of paper will start to move. 
even though the light has no mass. Astro B on YouTube is asking, will we put people on the moon in the next decade? In the 2020s, is it time for the moon to electric boogaloo? I, I don't know. This is a tough one, and this is a tough one that just really breaks my heart because I wish I knew. I wish I could say, yeah, the 2020s are when we're going to have sustained human presence on the moon, and then we can look at the 2030s or 40s of when we're going to start putting some boot prints on some Martian red dust. But I can't say that. I can't say that with any confidence. And related to that, Astro B is following up with, will we put a human in orbit around Mars? Will we at least get a mission out to Mars that loops around and comes back like they did with the Apollo missions before the actual landing? That seems unlikely. I'm going to give that as strong unlikely for the 2020s because that kind of a long-duration human mission is something we've never even come close to trying before. And oh, when it comes to the moon, oh, the best I can get out is, I hope so. We're almost out of time today on Space Radio, but before we go, it's time for the Blue Shift. I'm Paul Sutter, and you're listening to Space Radio, and this is the Blue Shift, my opportunity to get a little bit closer to you. And what I want to talk about is looking ahead to the 2020s. Uh, what can we expect in terms of human spaceflight? Well, we're going to see it a huge advances, I think, in reusable rocketry. We've already figured it out. Now it's a matter of doing it a lot more than we did, which will make access to space a lot cheaper. And who knows what that will bring. The first stab at this is things like the Starlink program to bring worldwide global internet connectivity. But what else what we might do with increased and cheap access to space are we going to put people on the moon or mars i don't know i know nasa says we are going to put people on the moon next decade but they also promised us james webb space telescope in the 2010s and we're still waiting on that so you know what just just pinch of salt that's all i'm saying pinch of salt when it comes to astronomy I think we're going to be digging really deep into exoplanets. I feel like the 2020s are going to be a decade when we will find an Earth-like planet around the sun-like star, or at least a few of them and some candidates where we can get some measurements of their atmosphere to see if there's any signs of life. I think that's going to go down this decade. And in terms of cosmology, I think we're going to push on finding the first stars and the first galaxies. I think we're going to get some observations and measurements there. This is an, uh, so far a very obscure part of our universe's history of when the first stars and galaxies turned on. And I think we're going to shed some light on it in the 2020s. And as for the space radio, well, I hope it's another year of exploring the universe together. And unfortunately... This last broadcast of the 2010s is almost done. Thank you for joining me on this voyage of space radio. Once again, I'm Paul Sutter, and this show is brought to you by you. Go to patreon.com slash pmsutter to learn how you 
can contribute. Thanks to Greg Mobius for producing, Nancy Graziano for wrangling the space cadets and all. The fine grew at WCBE Radio for making this show possible. Catch the live stream every Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern. Visit spaceradioshow.com for more info. You can also follow me directly on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram. My name is at Paul Matt Sutter. And of course, thanks again, Space Cadets, for listening. See you next week. And remember, all next decade, science is for sharing. End of transmission. Thank <laughs> you.